Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I'm very excited to have on our show, uh, Jeff Shore. Jeff, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Christopher, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, sir. Uh, I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, Jeff, tell me about yourself and your company. Yeah, uh, so a 30 plus year, I guess that makes me sound old, 30 plus year sales uh, veteran. I was uh, national sales director for a very, very large uh, organization for many years, but for the last 20 years, I've been on my own with, we have a team of 13 uh, we work with sales organizations around North America. I uh, just have a great time. Uh, really interested in the way that salespeople sell, far more interested in the way that buyers buy. And so we just sort of take that approach, figure out the way that somebody wants to buy. You can reverse engineer your sales presentation, make it easy for them to do that. So, so really understand. I really, really love getting inside the, the customer's head and just taking a tour and understand the way they think. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things that really excited me about having you on the show, and we talked about this in the pre-show, uh, my wife is a therapist. Yeah. And a big part of her world as a therapist is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about your approach with that. Well, I stumbled into it um, as that actually I was doing some research for a book that I wanted to write. I determined many years ago that I I dealt with a, a comfort addiction, uh, as I had labeled it, that I love all things comfortable, and I kind of ordered my life accordingly. And I was, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the number of sales professionals, because let's face it, sales can sometimes be an uncomfortable job, right? Christopher, yeah. you're going you're gonna to you're gonna get the objections and the price push back. And, and uh, sometimes people who are just not very nice, they're <laughs> going through a tough time, whatever it might be. So I was thinking about that in terms of salespeople who are uncomfortable and what are some of the different discomforts that they face. And so in the research, I just asked myself the question, well, if I label discomfort as an, or I'm sorry, comfort as an addiction, the desire for comfort as an addiction, and it does have addictive properties. Yeah. Well, then what are the number, what's the number one way that professionals deal with people with addictions? And there you go. That's what led me to an understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy and really applying that into the way that I think, the way I live my life, the way I run my sales presentation, and now in the way that I coach salespeople. Yeah. And it is a, uh, you know, it's a big part about, like you were saying earlier, about uh, understanding the buying process and understanding mm -hmm. that, getting that, that a shift in perspective towards the, the customer, correct? Yeah, it, it's really applications on both sides. I think it starts by looking at ourselves and being honest to look at it and say, what are those moments in the sales presentation, sales presentation that sometimes trip me up that make me uncomfortable? And you know, it's not a contest. We all have different moments of discomfort. So if you look at you, you can say, you know, when it's time to ask for the sale or to follow up, or you know, when it's time to do my prospecting or working with the CRM, it could be any number of different things. Uh, what what happens here is that if we wait until we are in that moment and then decide what we're going to do, we're going to make the decision out of the emotional core. And the brain is trying to keep us alive. So it's going to tell us, run, go in the different direction. 
But if we make the decision before we face the discomfort, that's where the cognitive behavioral therapy really comes into play. So it's cognitive thinking, behavioral acting. So how do I think through what I'm going to do before I'm in that moment? So I can decide right literally right now, uh, the next time I'm going to face a discomfort, how I'm going to respond. If I wait till I'm in that moment, my emotional brain is going to kick in and say, get out of this. You don't want anything to do with it. Run away. Uh, but if I'm deciding now, then it, it, it changes absolutely everything. Now, to your point, if we can also understand how our customer is doing the same thing, then we can prime them for how they're going to think all throughout the whole process. I'm not trying to be manipulative here. I'm trying to give them a mental roadmap for how that buying process is going to go. Right, right. Because as humans, we want to avoid the hard. We want to go towards what's easy. True. And that's true on both, like you're saying, on the, you know, if I'm selling or if I'm buying. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. In fact, there's a hack that I oftentimes will share about this, Christopher, when you're thinking about the way that your customer makes a purchase decision. And that, that little mental hack says easy equals right. The easier something seems to me, the writer it feels to me. And more and more companies today are a lot of startups. They're asking that question first. They're looking at traditional industries and then saying, what would it look like if this were easy? How could we break this down and make this so much more enjoyable for the customer experience? And then the customers look at it and they go, well, that's easy. And if it's easy, it feels right. I get that comfort level in me and that it makes it easier to make the decision. And you're really creating a fan there too, by the fact that you say, hey, you took this, what really sucked, this experience that was not pleasant for me. And now it's pleasant. I'm your fan. That's a big yeah. transition. Yeah, it, it is. I, I think you're right. I think it's a good point, Christopher, that, that you'll get people to be able to appreciate you, to, um, to lock in with you. You're on that journey together at that point. So I would just challenge you, you know, if you're a sales professional listening to this, think about some of those sticking points. Maybe it's describing something te technical or, or something that's going to confuse your buyer and ask yourself, what would it look like if that were simple? How do we break that down so that it's really, really easy? I had, for example, I had a, a mortgage broker say, hey, listen, I deal in mortgages. These are complicated. And so we crafted a presentation to be able to say to the customer early on, look, it's all going to seem complicated. There's a lot of paperwork, a lot of numbers that you're not going to really understand. I can just tell you this. The lender just wants to know three things. How are you going to pay the money back? Do you have a history of paying the money back? What happens if you don't pay the money back? Everything else is details. And providing that framework then allows the customer to go, okay, all right, okay. So now I've got this, I can accept that, I can understand that, and it becomes right. much, much easier to make a decision. And you're creating a framework for them, of like yeah. here's, here's what you need to worry about. Yeah. You know, these three things, there's gonna be other stuff that comes up, but we're gonna focus on these three things. I think that's exactly right, and by the way, even going down to the idea of saying three things, there's a little mental hack there. The brain loves yeah. to sort things out in groups of three. And so if you can look at it, especially early on in your presentation, you see, there's a lot that we're gonna cover, but there's three things should be most important to you. Here we go. Yeah, and that, I'm wrapping it up in a nice little bow for you. Yeah, uh, right. how do you, easy equals as, right. As a sales leader, how can I leverage this to help my team? Yep. Well, this is a great question because there is a there is coaching that goes into play very much like somebody who has an addiction is going to go see a therapist of some kind. That therapist is actually a coach. 
And the coach's job is to be able to help you in the time of performance, right? So it's one thing to, let's, let's say somebody has a drinking problem. Sitting in a counselor's office, the counselor's not going to sit there and say, don't drink. It's not good, right? Because the patient can too easily go, you're right. I'm not going to drink. What's the problem with that? Well, there's no alcohol there in that office. Right. And the factors that would want that would that would trigger that drinking are, are not there either. Right. So what are what is the coach going to do? The coach is going to put you in that situation and then mentally role play what that's going to look like, not just how you're going to respond, but literally how you're going to feel. Sales coaches can do the same thing. When we identify those uncomfortable moments, let's just take, for example, asking for the sale. The reason that we practice is not just to get the scripting right, although it's important that we're asking in a way that's clear and clean, uh, but it's to actually take that salesperson and put them in that uh, synthetic reality of asking for the sale and having them do it over and over and over again. So now that what's happening here, the mind is calming down every time that I do it. And I know salespeople don't love to practice. But when that practice, when that repetition kicks in, it puts you into that place. So now by the time you get there next time, you've already decided when that voice in the head says, this is a good time to ask for the sale, you had already made the decision and you had practiced not just what you were going to say, you literally practiced how you were going to feel. That's where the power comes into play. You are training your brain in advance for what's gonna happen in that moment of discomfort. And that's the key part, that having that emotional, that gut feel, you know, recreating that environment uh, and those feelings and sensations as real as possible. You made me think about uh, like sports. You know, they try to get as close to the game environment as they can when they practice. So it's just, and repeat, repeat, repeat. So when you're in the game, you're ready. It's, it's, you're not even thinking, you're just doing. So, so you've pointed out something that I think is really important, Chris, in, in regards to flaws that we see in sales coaching or sales managing. We tell the salesperson what to do. We don't show them how to do it, and we don't hold them accountable for showing us that they can do it right. So, for example, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to say, you tell that customer that that's it. That's our bottom line. We're not going any lower. Go tell them. I told that salesperson what to do, but I did not give the salesperson the opportunity to practice that, to see how we wanna do it and to know that they've got that confidence when they deliver that message. That's very much like a coach on the football field telling a wide receiver, I want you to run the route this way, but then not actually watching them run the route right. or tweaking their performance while they're running the route. And so we've got to look at it and carry it all the way down not just what I want you to do, but how you need to do it. Now show me you can do it. Now what happens? The confidence of that salesperson is rising. And when it's time for the performance, they already know what they're going to do because they've done it so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And you're given that opportunity to, to make mistakes where it's safe. That's correct. That's right. So well, for the sales coach too, by the way, if you want to model that for your salesperson, so you screw up. Okay. Yep. You could point that out. You can look at it. You can say, so you see how I did it. Let's tweak that. And let me try it again. We're all in this together, right? Yep. We're just trying to make that progress, but we've got to get that, that down. I think too many salespeople think they're practicing in front of their customers. You're not, that's not practice. That's game time. If you fail in a coaching environment, you get better. If you fail on the field, it costs you money. That's right. That's right. 
the other thing that made me uh, think uh, when you were talking before about coaching is you're giving the sales leader an opportunity to coach and to learn how to coach and for them to fail as a coach and learn from that as well, correct? Yeah, that's, that is absolutely right. Look, I, I kind of look at it, we have a, I have a sales training company, right? But I look at sales training as sort of a three-legged stool. There's the training and instruction. This is what to do. There is the application, that's the salesperson's job. But that third leg of the stool is the coach whose job it is to take the instruction and put it into play and practice it over and over again. Then what happens by the time we're done? That confidence level of the sales professional is rising all the time. And that confidence is critical because customers can smell it from a mile away. They gravitate towards confidence. They adopt that confidence, but they also run away from a lack of confidence. Right. So when we're in that coaching environment, you know, it's progress over perfection. It's going to take a while to get it perfect. But the worst thing we can ever do as a coach is tell a salesperson to do something one time. They're going to fail. They're going to feel bad about it. And they're never going to do it again. It's repetition. I, I often say that the destination called mastery is on a road called repetition. And there are no shortcuts to that. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Like an actor in a play or, or Eric Clapton playing the guitar. How much repetition went into that proficiency, right? And yep. we, we want to shortcut that. That's our comfort addiction talking, by the way. Right, right. Because yeah, who wants to spend that time? It's not fun. I'm not out making money. Right. Um, yeah. But you're also, you're not preparing yourself for being in the game. Yes. And you've plateaued, right? You're as good as you're ever going to be at that point. And right. it's not a recipe for long-term success. Yeah. So if I'm a new sales leader and, you know, I was a rock star salesperson and now I've been promoted to sales leader, what how should I approach my job so I don't fall on my face? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to decide what you're gonna be good at. And as a sales leader, one of the things that happens here is that uh, for some reason in that particular role, there's a lot of stuff that comes our way, admin stuff, meetings, all of this you know, problem solving, um, but you have to decide what really matters. And, and what did Stephen Covey say? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, what's the main thing? To a sales leader, the main thing is lead conversion. How do I convert as many leads as possible? So if that is the main thing, can I prove that with my time and my energy and my effort? Uh, so it, it starts by learning what your priorities are. But then once you've determined that, the question is how do you communicate that to your salespeople? So there is that idea to, that, and there's a word that I love for new uh, coaches, new sales leaders, and the word is let's, L-E-T apostrophe S, let's. It's, it's not a dictatorial approach. It's a partnership approach. Let's do this. And it takes time. It really does. But when we can prove to our salespeople that you can make them better and therefore more effective, that's when you're doing your job right. And by the way, if you can't make them better and more effective, then you're probably in the wrong role anyway. So there's that sense of partnership. We have to come alongside, understand their motivations. And then it's just repetition. Lean into your discomfort. They don't want to practice, fine, practice anyway. And after a while, it becomes quite normal for them. So if I, I'm a sales leader, I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking, crap, I, I totally avoid this. How do I, what should I do? What's that first step I should take to begin embracing what I'm avoiding? Yeah, so I, I think the first thing is just, well, <laughs> I mean, it's going to sound a little odd, but I think the first question you have to ask if you're a sales leader, 
how do I want to be fired? And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. So you can get fired because you're doing, you're in this meeting or you're handling that paperwork and this admin stuff and solving these problems over here and you're doing everything but converting leads. That's one way you can get fired. Or you can get fired because you ignore all that stuff and you're focusing in on how to get more leads converted. And I'm gonna tell you that the first of those ways is how you get it fired a lot quicker. Because the reason that sales leaders lose their job is not for a lack of sales. It's that people lose faith and confidence that they know how to get sales. So we've got to be able to look at, you have to be able to stand up for yourselves and say, listen, my job is lead conversion. And all this other stuff over here is taking me away from lead conversion. So if you want me to do my job, you cannot ask me to do this over here. We've got to stand up for what we believe in. Now, if you decide how you're going to get fired, because if you just give in to what everybody else wants you to do and you focus no time on lead conversion, you're going to get fired anyway. So get fired on your terms. Yep. I love that. It, you know, as I, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, it is so easy for us to get sucked into the weeds or I'm, I'm so busy. I'm working on this and this and this, but I'm not moving the needle. And if you're not moving yeah. the needle, you're going to get fired. You know, you're going to go out of business. You know, but right. it really is. Yeah, you know, focusing. Dan, Dan uh, sorry about that. Dan Sullivan in the strategic coach program, he, he talks about identifying A, B, and C activities. And those C activities, oh, you hate to do them, you're not good at them. And you know, the B activities, well, I don't love it, but I understand the important role that it plays. And the A activities, that's where you shine. As entrepreneurs, for people like you and me, Christopher, the yes. more A we do, the more successful we're going to be. But it's true for sales coaches as well. Yep. As you do less C and more A, you will see your um, your career rise. Yep, that's awesome. So if I have the ambition of becoming a sales leader, what should I be doing to develop that skill set so I can make a successful transition? Right, uh, so I, I would argue that the very first thing you have to do is master your own craft. You need to make sure that you can not only uh, perform well as a sales professional, but that you know how you perform well, you know why you perform well. So the first step is to become a sales theorist. You need to be able to understand not just what your technique is, but why your technique is and why it works. So study it, learn as much as you can about your own presentation. I think that that's the, the uh, starting point. Then after that, you got to figure out what great coaching looks like. And there are plenty of ways to be able to do that. There are plenty of resources online on how to learn really, really good coaching skills. But you've got to try and figure out what are you going to do. And I think a lot of sales leaders think it's all about the sales meeting. And I would argue it's far more important to get the one-on-ones right. So if you have not really honed that, one of the ways that you can do that is that if you want to be a sales leader, you're probably already an informal leader of your team now. So ask your organization for the ability to mentor three or four of the newer people on the team to start up a cohort where you have the opportunity to mentor them and bring them along and hone your skills that way. That will not only teach you how to do that before you've got the entire team, but it'll dramatically raise your confidence when you are called to step into that sales leadership role. That is some of the best advice I've heard. That I love that. And it's also you're demonstrating the initiative that, hey, I want to contribute. I want to make everybody better. It's not just about me. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So shifting gears here about uh, as a sales leader, I also have to worry about 
CRM technology and how I'm going to leverage that tool set. Um, a lot of sales guys, frontline guys do not, you know, they look at it as kind of the albatross or the, the block, it's blocking me from doing what I should be doing. Right. As a right. sales leader, how do I tackle those issues, leveraging some of the skills that you teach uh, your clients? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, such an important question because I'm right with you. I mean, there, there a lot of a lot of sales leaders came up through the sales ranks, and and when we look at sales leaders, what do we ask of them? Well, we want them to be outgoing and gregarious and motivating and creative, and and then we want them to be technical and organized. And you know, we're asking them to work out of both sides of their brain. It's actually not easy to do. And, and that's why great sales leaders are so hard to find. As it relates to the CRM though, I think one of the ways, one of the best mindsets that I've, and by the way, I'm that way. I, I am not a detailed guy. Uh, I, I understand these things, but, but uh, I don't like being owned by them, right? right. So I, I think the, the way that I coach sales leaders is to think like an airplane pilot. If you get into the cockpit of a 747, a friend of mine flew 747s for United for many years. And you know how many dials and buttons and gauges and pieces of information are in a 747 cockpit? I mean, they are literally surrounding you everywhere you look, but there are only about four things that really matter. Right? How fast am I going? Yep. Is the plane level? Yeah, the, 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 you got to try and figure out with your CRM what really matters. Because similarly, there are 500 different gauges that you could be looking, but only four of them matter. Right. That's the starting point for your CRM. What matters most to you? And break that all out. You don't need a detailed analysis about all of these details. Just figure out what matters the most to you that's that's the advice that I would give. I love that. Um, that that's really uh, uh, important to understand to have that that insight into your business because it's I mean, uh, just looking at, you know, again, talking about as an entrepreneur, there's usually three or four numbers that you need to know that you're checking on a daily basis that drive your whole business. Right. It's the same with CRM. I, I completely agree. I think a lot of times people think like we need to use every bell and whistle available to us because it's going to solve all our problems and they end up very frustrated. Right. There's one other piece of advice I would give on the CRM and that is not to hang out on it all day long. Uh, it, it, to the extent that you can, you're going to be much better off with moments or times of intense focus on the CRM and then ignoring it all together. So one of the recommendations that I make to sales leaders is the concept called the lead conversion hour, where you're scheduling early on in your day. This is the one solid hour that I'm working with lead conversion. And there are just three components, you, a salesperson, probably by phone and your CRM. That's it. I'm intensely focused in. I'm not taking any other calls. I'm not checking my emails. My door is closed. This is laser focused on lead conversion for that solid hour. Then I'm shutting it down. Yeah. So, you know, if you're trying to sort of uh, uh, keep updated on CRM all day long, you're never going to be as effective as you can be. You're just going to give yourself a headache. Right. If I'm a sales leader and I have members of my team that just do, you know, they're not going to embrace CRM or they're really struggling to embrace CRM, what advice do you have for them? Well, I look, it's a 
It's a tough one. First of all, I would go back the same way, right? If you're looking at it and saying, what are the four dials that really matter? You got to ask them to be able to look at it the same way. But I would look at it and say, there, with every single job, there are things that you have to do. And so, you know, this is the question here. And, and it, it sort of baffles my mind, quite frankly, that we bring salespeople on and then we show them, this is what you were supposed to do. Then the salesperson doesn't want to do it. So they don't do it. And then what do we do? We get frustrated and we nag them. Well, hold on. It's a standard of doing business or it's not. So, so you've got to decide as a sales leader, is this a job requirement or is it not? I'm going to tell you right now, if it's optional, then it's not a requirement. Right. So we have to look at it and say, for sure, these things right here are necessary requirements to do this job. Should you choose not to do these things, you don't get to keep the job. That's a conversation that gets had in the interview process yeah. right from the very beginning so that everybody is very clear. But I do think that managers are sometimes guilty of calling things requirements, but treating them as optionals. Right. Now, from the salesperson's perspective, they are human beings and the human brain follows a really interesting little hack. Daniel Kahneman coined it, the law of least effort. We are always looking for the easiest way to do anything at all. So if I find the CRM difficult and I have the option of not keeping it up to date, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So this is the question. I've said to sales managers for years, your standards are not what you desire. Your standards are what you accept. So if you accept that lower level of performance, then that is acceptable. Don't get confused on this one. You can't call something a requirement and treat it as an option. That's right. I, I, it's music to my ears. I've never understood that why, um, you know, if you're spending all this money and time on your CRM platform and you're not making it clear to the people using that you're relying on the information in that system to make key decisions for the business. Right. And you're not saying, hey, you know, you always tell people, look, you you lead with the carrot, but you better have a stick ready um, right. for those people that aren't going to um, cooperate uh, because yeah. there will be some and it has to come from the top and it has to be clear. Yes. Um, so uh, if things are going great with CRM and the sales team's doing great, you know, life is happy. Should I be happy or should I be afraid? <laughs> well, look, I, I'm of the opinion that you'll always have issues, concerns, negative impacts uh, on your day, on your week, on your month, on your year. It's, it's just always going to happen. It's the nature of the beast. Sales will always be complex and sometimes difficult. I mean, it's, whenever you're dealing with buyers, you're dealing with emotions. Yep. It's going to happen. I don't care what the product is, B2C, B2B, doesn't matter. You're always going to have buyers and therefore you're going to have emotions. So I argue that you have to celebrate the victory. And one of the reasons that we do that is that it's very easy in the world of sales to get caught up in, oh, why can't we get this? Oh, this, isn't, this isn't that hard. Why can't? It's very easy to beat ourselves up over these things. Um, so we get out of balance. We start feeling after a while that our confidence is down. We can't do anything right. I say when things are going well, celebrate that. Use that time to build up your confidence because whatever you're doing right right now, you've conquered something difficult. 
If I celebrate that, it gives me more confidence to be able to uh, raise the bar and conquer even more difficult things into the future. Right. Let's talk about when things are going bad and yeah. uh, you know, you've lost that big deal um, or a member of your team has lost that big deal, uh, which, I mean, that's what that's sales. Um, it's, yeah. it's an integral part. Um, as a sales leader, what should I be doing to use that or create a, that learning environment around mm -hmm. failure? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the threat here that you're bringing up because it's very, very significant. Uh, you know, I, I recently uh, wrote this book over my shoulder here, follow up and win the sale and uh, follow, follow up and close the sale. And when I wrote that book, I, I did it with this premise that buyers buy at times of high, what I call emotional altitude. So buyers are buyers and they make emotion-based decisions and they make those decisions when the emotional altitude is high, that sense of positive emotion. And the reason we do follow-up, by the way, is to sustain that emotional altitude for a longer period of time. Without follow-up, then the emotional altitude tends to plummet. Well, the question then gets asked, well, where does that emotional altitude come from? Now, in some cases, it comes from a beautiful product. Uh, it comes from a strong need that is fulfilled in the customer's mind. But we must never underestimate the salesperson's own emotional energy as contributing to the emotional altitude. So when you ask the question, when things go bad, the number one problem when things go wrong is that it drains the emotional energy, the positive emotional energy of the salesperson. The customer now adopts that lower level of energy and it serves as a governor or a hindrance to high emotional altitude. So if we're gonna look at it from that side, then there is that motivational aspect, that pick me up cheerleader aspect of sales coaches. That a lot of sales coaches go, oh, I don't wanna get into that. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not Zig Ziglar. Well, I would argue you better learn to be because that salesperson's emotional energy is going to get adopted whether you want it to or not. Right. So why one of the things that I look for in great salespeople is that they have that strong positive energy that they carry around just as a, as a way of life. Right. So when things are going wrong, look at the energy levels first. We, we've got to protect that. And that means you pull your salesperson aside, you, you, you take them out for a cup of coffee, you do what you need to do to monitor, measure that and build that back up. That's tremendous. Um, and and I, I imagine empathy is a key component to that. What role does empathy play as a sales leader? Yeah, it really, really does. And, and, and here's the watch out for sales leaders. Sales leaders get pulled in so many different directions that after a while, talking to a salesperson is just another task in the day. It's just another thing that I have to do. That's a real problem because pretty soon you're gonna be talking to a salesperson who's gonna call you and gonna go, hey, Jack, how's it going? And Jack is gonna go, you know, it's, 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 it's all right. All right, what do you got for me? And we're gonna wax, Jack was trying to tell you something right there. He was almost begging you to please ask what's really going on. But you got so busy that you waxed over the top of that. And now Jack in his funk goes further in his funk. Why? Because his own sales manager doesn't seem to care. So there is that sense of empathy, of, of, of really wanting to know on every single call of getting into that habit of talking to your salespeople and, and asking the question early on or late, hey, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? How you holding up? 
but really meaning it when you ask that question. Right. Um, because if you miss that, you won't even know it. The next thing right. you know, you've got a salesperson who's off the rails and it catches you by surprise. Right. And never accepting it's fine as an answer. Oh, it's, it's fine. Sure. It's good. Right. Because yeah. when is ever anything totally fine or good? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on our uh, uh, time here with Sales Lead Dog. Can you talk about your book a little bit before we shut things down? Yeah, it was really fun to write, you know, and, and I had done it because it was actually a couple of years ago, I did an Amazon search for books on sales follow-up, crickets. And I just had to look at it and say, so much has been said and written about follow-up, but I wanted to really put it together into one book. Uh, but it really does, it's a customer-centric view of follow-up. It's not the do it because your job depends on a thing. It's here's why your customer needs you to do this. And to me, follow-up is about serving. It's not about just, so did you make a decision yet? Or just checking in. Right. It's serving your customer to enhance their journey all throughout the process. This should, this should be really fun. Follow-up yeah. should be fun. I don't think it is for most salespeople because they're doing it wrong. Their, or their motives are wrong. They think it's about harassing the customer until the customer agrees to buy. That's not fun. Right. But when follow-up is all about serving, it's actually really, really fun. Yeah, you're building a relationship and mm -hmm. you know, those are always, you can never have too many as far as I'm concerned. Right, well, and you're solving problems, right? You're, yeah. you're solving problems that maybe the customer doesn't even know they have. I focus a lot in the book about creativity, right. about the way that you can creatively think through the customer's journey to think through what might they need to be thinking about that they're not even thinking about right now. How about that value add to throw on top of it? How do I serve? How do I serve? How do I serve? That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It has been a, a joy for me to sit here and listen to you. It's been great. I enjoyed the conversation, Christopher, very, very much. Awesome. Thank you very much. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.